Welcome to Let's Get Unraveled, a place where artists from all walks of life come to share their unabridged stories and speak openly and candidly about their creative journeys. We're so happy you're here. Hi, everybody. I'm Ko Hodges, co-founder and lead instructor at Unraveled Academy. And today I have quite the treat for you. I get to interview one of the darlings of our photography community, a personal hero of mine, and a woman who has been a huge part of Unraveled since day one, Lindsay Saunders. Thank you so much for being here. Cool. So I can start crying now, right? (laughs) That was like the best intro ever. I just, okay, the end, that's it. (laughs) Hi. I meant every word. I could, I could have gone deeper, but I was like, I got to tone it back a little bit. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I'll tell you what, can you tell everybody where you are in the world and what work you primarily do? Yeah, so um, I'm up here in Alaska. I live in Fairbanks, Alaska, and um, I've lived here my entire life uh, for the most part. I did move to Arizona in California for a bit and just found myself back in Alaska. Mm -hmm. And primarily, I love to work with families and couples. Um, I tend to dabble in wedding photography, but I really love lifestyle documentary type photography the best and I often am just documenting my own kids um, and then um, working inside other people's homes. Yes. Awesome. So I want to start at kind of the beginning of your story. Um, Can you tell everyone about your childhood and the journey that led you to where you are right now and how art played a role in that? Yes. (laughs) It is such a story. It's actually a story I've been writing down in in short stories since I was about 16 years old, just because I've always thought it is apparently a strange one. <laughs> um, my, my first home was in a trailer in a junkyard in a place called North Pole, Alaska, which is, mind you, a real place. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> and I implore you to Google it because it's not as magical as it sounds. Sure. <laughs> it's weird. Um, so I grew up in this trailer, and by trailer I mean it's um, actually like a camper van that you would hook up to a truck. And so it wasn't even a true trailer. It wasn't even a mobile home. It was literally like a trailer without a room. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I lived in the middle of this junkyard that was my uncle's called Pete's Collision. And um, my mom moved here from England to follow my dad, who um, had a lot of great adventure ideas, I guess, exciting adventurous plans for himself and um, didn't pan out. So he's working in a junkyard. My mom follows him here. Um, and I lived in that trailer with my two older sisters um, for the first like three to four years of my life. Um, and oddly enough, some of my strongest and earliest memories are from the junkyard. Um, a lot of times we were kind of left to our own devices and we crawled all over broken, like broken down buses and cars. And, um, just one of my first memories is going into a broken down bus and eating, um, MREs that we found under the seats from the Vietnam era. <laughs> so, um, wow. anyway, like, it just, it's crazy to think about like that. I was just out there in a diaper wandering around broken glass and right. But I survived. Um, and it was, it was a, a different starting point. 
um, and then we kind of moved into a few different houses and finally found ourselves in a place called Two Rivers, Alaska. And there my mom kind of had her little paradise of setting up a hobby farm and um, just, I guess, living off the land. It's pretty remote. We had 10 acres all around us. It was just woods and we're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. We're 35 miles away from any city. No McDonald's, no, no nothing. We had a post office. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I grew up um, after moving away from the, the trailer in the junkyard. I grew up around a lot of animals and nature. And I mean, we didn't have a phone for a while. We didn't have television. I just had horses and geese and chickens and the woods. And so a lot of it was um, self explorative learning and it was in a way kind of a mixed blessing um, but the tough part of this story is is that it sounds like a pretty magical upbringing mm -hmm. but on the flip side of this and it's really hard for me to talk about but both my parents had really severe addiction problems mm -hmm. and I didn't understand the magnitude until I became an adult myself really um, but my mom was an alcoholic um, a pretty intense alcoholic too. Um, there were often days where, you know, I would find her unresponsive on the floor and I would just right. walk around and do my own thing and take care of myself. And it was just kind of an, an odd thing to look back on because as a mom now, I just, I, it, it's just right. so deeply evolved in my mind of what my childhood was like. Um, so that's kind of, like me and my sisters were raising ourselves out there, which sounds crazy, <laughs> but it, it was, and it was magical at the same time. Um, so I think because we were always left to our own devices and we didn't have television and we didn't have a telephone for so long and we didn't have these, these other options that, you know, other families had, yeah. I tried my best to fill my time with things that would make me better. And it all springs from my obsession with little women. <laughs> it was yeah. one of the first books I ever read. Oh. And I remember thinking like, these girls are a lot like me, there's four sisters. So eventually my mom had another baby and so there's four of us sisters. And there were so many parallels to that book in my own life that I just felt really inspired and also became really hard on myself about wanting to be well-rounded. <laughs> so, um, and I just looked at these girls as being so much like us and I knew I had to work hard and I knew I wanted to, I wanted to follow my dreams of education and my dreams of creating art. And I know this is like all over the place. I'm sorry Not if it's all. Like, Not trying to do it in a like linear way. <laughs> So, um, um, and things changed progressively, um, progressively worse as I got older and because my parents, um, drinking and drug problem got more intensive and my grandpa came from England to help. And I, again, I didn't understand that's why he was coming from England to stay with us. Um, I understand it now because <laughs> I'm like, okay, he was here to watch us and to take care of us because he realized that the situation was kind of dire. Right. So seems like the story's getting better, <laughs> but then my grandpa gets Alzheimer's disease. <laughs> and oh. I, like, this is a part of my story 
that I feel is really funny in a very dark way <laughs> because yeah. we, us four sisters, like it's ironic because he came to take care of us and we end up taking care of him. Oh, wow. And so he doesn't know who we are anymore. And um, he, you know, he escapes a lot. <laughs> so there's just these like comical instances of having to track him down and, um, and find him. And, and so he just is kind of this funny bit of the story that adds irony, I guess. And, um, he was a very, very like lovely person and super considerate and just a really like loving human being for like an old man. He was awesome. Yeah. Um, but then once he, once he got Alzheimer's, he developed this obsession with thinking I was a little boy named Joe. <laughs> and I don't know what happened in his past, but Joe did him wrong. And so he would often be yelling at Joe, like, Joe, what are you doing? Like, get out of the kitchen. And, and so <laughs> it was just this, this, um, this kind of like comedic, just little world we were all living in. Right. Because, um, we would like take the bus to school. We would walk a mile and hop on the bus and go to school out in this like little ho-dunk school called Two Rivers Elementary. And there were families there that were super normal. And I didn't like realize it until I went to school. Like, oh, like you guys don't have a grandpa at home that calls you Joe? Like <laughs> <laughs> you guys have television that's what? Like, right. um, yeah, so it definitely opened my eyes. And then I started to be more aware of like, Oh, we are we are lacking some basic necessities at home. <laughs> like, um, and so I feel like telling this story can come across as just, I guess, whiny and or like complaining. But I never, I guess that's why I don't like to open up about it right. because I definitely know that there are people in the world that you know struggle with much worse things, and um, and so. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me let me say this. I love you for saying that. Um, nobody's thinking that at all, and I appreciate you for being for being open and telling your story because there are kids out there going through similar things, and you're you're going to help them, you know. And you know because you're an educator. We can talk about that in a little bit. Um, that you know the home life situation for lots of children is is pretty gnarly. And I see it as an emergency room nurse. And I know you see it even more as a teacher and this will help so many people. So thank you for being open. And I know it's not easy. Yeah, that's actually a great segue to kind of talk about um, becoming an educator. And um, since I was in first grade, I knew I always wanted to be a teacher and I didn't really know how to pinpoint why at that age, obviously, because I'm a first grader. But I just remember laying on my floor and telling my best friend, Henry Bentley Hall III, <laughs> that I wanted, <laughs> wanted to be a history teacher when I was in first grade. And I am a history teacher now, which is kind of insane that I had that much conviction in first grade. Right. But um, I had educators along the way that really rooted for me and maybe didn't even understand what I was going through because actually nobody really implored further. They just knew that something was wrong. They didn't, they didn't ask, you know, they didn't ask further questions, but they knew, and it was obvious they knew. And they really, really made me feel wanted and needed in a time where I just wasn't sure if I mattered. If that sounds, I know that sounds really dark. No, but um, I get it. It was, 
Yeah. <laughs> and so by the time I got to high school, I was definitely in a dark place myself. And looking back, I definitely was on the fast track to becoming a person with addiction problems as well. Mm -hmm. um, when I was a teenager, you know, I would go out to parties and I would get blacked out drunk. And on the flip side, I was getting a 4.0 in high school and um, I'd signed up for AP classes. And I had all these passions, but it's like for five years there, I kind of felt embarrassed about my initiative and about my passions and about my drive because the rest of my family would scoff at me if I talked about going to college or, you know, working, working hard to get what I wanted. It was kind of seen as like, well, then you just don't belong in this family. And I always felt like a black sheep for that reason. Um, which is funny because other families were prepping their kids for college and prepping their kids to dream bigger. And I was basically told like, find a skill and work it and it's going to be a struggle and that's all you have. Like it was pretty, yeah, yeah it was, it was pretty odd. Um, so in high school, my parents, uh, drug and alcohol problems got worse and I left home when I was six, 15 or 16. Um, I think closer to 16 and, I moved in with like a boyfriend in high school who was older than me and it abusive because at that, you know, at that age, I just didn't have the insights or the life skills to discern between like a healthy environment right. and a non-healthy environment. And so I think I was really drawn to these unhealthy environments because that's what I knew. Right. And over time, um, you know, I, I kind of just the unfolding of events, left that boyfriend in the house, which is so weird. I couldn't imagine like letting my six year old girl live with a boyfriend. It just kind of like makes my skin fall. <laughs> yeah, it really freaks me out. I'm like, I never know. Like someone's house would burn down, you know? Like, <laughs> That's a fact. That's a fact. Yeah. yeah. Um so and then I just started couch surfing and I'm like 16 years old, a junior or 17 years old by then, junior in high school. I'm couch surfing. I have like a bag of clothes I carry with me. I don't have anything to wash my hair, my teeth or anything. I just kind of go with the flow wherever I end up. I'll try to take care of myself there. Mm -hmm. And I did a pretty damn good job because nobody knew I was homeless in high school. And I really worked hard to seem like I was just like them. Like I was some rich kid because I went to this high school just full to the brim with rich kids, which is so weird. Mm -hmm. Um, because of where I grew up. And so I always had this really intense imposter syndrome, which was kind of an imposter situation where I, I would lie like out, like it just became almost like an unbridled like talent to lie. Cause yeah. people would ask like, what does your mom do? I'm like, Oh, she travels the world. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and my dad, Oh, he's an artist, you know, like things like that. And, there were just always these lies that would always come around to bite me in the butt too. So like, oh, I thought they were out of town, like, you know, and I just felt so deeply ashamed of my situation and embarrassed that I just didn't know what else to do and who to reach out to. And I didn't understand that I was homeless. Like those things like didn't occur to me. It just right. was like a survival mode. And um, at the same time, which is so odd, I signed myself up for AP classes. So I always had this underlying current inside me that was like pushing me. Um, I just always had this foundation in myself that was like, you know, you you can do these things. Like you, 
if people around you are doing it, you can do it. You can work hard enough. You can do this. I just didn't know my resources. Um, so I just remember one time, you know, my history teacher, um, I'm going to name her because she is the raddest lady and we are still friends. Her name is Heather DeMario. <laughs> um, and she came up to me and she asked like, you know, is everything okay? I care about you. And she made it a point to tell me like, you're a good human. You've made mistakes, but you're a good human. And I remember that sticking with me so much. And, um, you know, skip forward to a week and I was in my AP class and my, his, and my uh, English teacher asked, um, you know, who's going to college? And all the kids raised their hands and these are all like doctor's kids and kids that have been like buzzing about it all year. And I just like looked out the window and I just like cried and my face was just burning. I just remember that embarrassment I felt. And then my, my teacher called me out and said like, why didn't you raise your hand? Yeah. And I just didn't know what to say. And I'm like, oh, I just, uh, I don't know. But I played it off like I was a cool kid. Like, oh, who needs college? That's dumb. You know? Like, <laughs> right, right, right. Defense mechanism 101. Come on now. Right. Uh, and then eventually I got called down to the office for skipping so often. I, I was a bad teenager, mind you. I was like <laughs> up to no good. Um, and I got called down to the office and the principal, this, like, this, arrogant guy like I just can't even remember his name because it really shook me that much he just looked me up and down basically told me I was trash um I was uh, like a young girl at the time and he says you know you're not gonna ever be a teacher you don't have you don't have the intelligence you don't have what it takes you're gonna end up pregnant and barefoot and I just remember crying and leaving his office walking out of school and never coming back and I dropped out of high school like two weeks before graduation mm -hmm. and I just, I just almost went numb. Yeah. And this is such a, such a like familiar story. When I see students at school, like I see this a lot mm -hmm. and it's actually really neat to have gone through it myself and now be an educator. Cause I can, I can see those red flags right away. I can pinpoint it. And it's really funny to me too. When I talk to coworkers that still doing this for 20 years, don't see it because they just don't recognize it. Right. Because they haven't had to face those things. Um, and so that itself has really been so helpful, um, for me and my career. And so skip forward a little bit. I had a year to just kind of reflect, which I didn't do much of because <laughs> I was, I was a scored, you know, like early, like, like almost nearing my twenties. I'm just, you know, young, careless. I don't have any, like I have given up on myself. I didn't have any aspirations. I gave up on my idea of college, on teaching. Like for a year, I just didn't do anything but have fun, which is kind of sad. <laughs> but um, um, I moved to Arizona and I was there for four weeks before I got a phone call that my little sister had died in a car accident. And um, I remember the night before, and this is a really hard thing for me to talk about too, because like I didn't realize that I was very much on the road to where my parents were. Um, but I was at a stranger's house. I was drinking alcohol. I didn't even know where I was. Like it was super unsafe. Yeah. It was out in the middle of nowhere. And um, I don't know how I ended up back at my friend's house that I moved down there to live with. And I woke up the next morning and I kept getting a phone call from my older sister and denying it. And I would get a call again. And she was calling me over and over. And we, you know, I'd never experienced that level of loss. 
So to me, it didn't trigger anything like, oh, this is a serious phone call. I was just like, oh, she's nagging me, you know? And so I just kept ignoring it. And then I finally, like from a half day's sleep, it was 11 a.m. Arizona time. And my sister is just screaming and crying on the other line. And she tells me my little sister is dead. And that's all she says, she's dead. And I just remember like blood draining out of my face um, and just from my body. I just couldn't grasp what that meant. Um, and it, it was like an instant shock. Like I can't describe it, but I was just like, what have I been doing with my time that is so precious and so it matters so much. Like I can do so much with my life and I'm not like, it just, it really hit me. And, um, I took, I took the flight home, like the first flight home I could. And um, I basically started cleaning my life up from that day forward. Um, and, you know, really being there for my mom and, and forgiving her for my childhood and, <sighs> and everything I've been through. It was just like, I realized that the only thing that I could really control was myself. And um, life is just full of dark twisty turns and you never you never know what's coming up ahead and and the best you can do is just to be a better human and to be forgiving and i just really really held myself to this high standard and i i still do to this day it's it's kind of what drives me is like every minute really counts right and that sounds really cheesy or cliche or true or whatever, but it really does. And um, I was this girl without a call, without a high school degree. I hadn't done anything. And a week later, I signed up myself for college and I got a 4.0 every semester. And I won uh, the top history student award for the university. Um, I graduated with honors and then I went on further to get my master's in education. And, um, and I just, I, it really just the time in the loss has been such an educational tool for me, yeah. um, just to really slow down and appreciate every moment. And that brought me back to photography, um, such a long winding story, <laughs> but, uh, initially I, I just, my first kid, and that's a lot of people's stories. Um, I mean, I've had photography in my life throughout my entire childhood, but it wasn't until I had my first kid that I realized that it was just something really special that needed to be documented. Absolutely. Oh, oh my gosh. And how, oh God, I don't even know how if I can like form words right now. How? I know. I was Because <laughs> I know you from afar. Like I cannot wait to meet you in person in May. But I feel your heart in every piece of art that you make. And I know that it's there's so much of you wrapped up in everything that you do. And I think that it's such a beautiful thing to nurture young people and young artists, whether they're in photography or not, um, to really feel the beauty that, it, that they are and that life has all around them. And to, to have that for um, the foundation of what they move forward and become. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know how to say that in an, any better way. Like, absolutely. Um, and 
I don't know, ever since just having that tool to slow down and to focus, and like I said, I know this sounds like the most cliche thing ever, mm-hmm. it just really does make me notice every little facet and corner of life yeah. that is beautiful. Um, whether that's having a baby, whether that's, I, this sounds really twisted to even say, but like losing a parent. No, um, not. that's exactly yeah. what happened. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It's exactly um, a lot of loss in my line of work <clears throat> and yes. the trauma that that happens to people, um, it, it, you know, it, it forces them a couple of different ways. But I think that the really, really, truly deeply strong people like yourself choose to honor their lives and choose to see the beauty that is all around us regardless um, and honor them with that goodness because, you know, their life was cut short for some reason. I love how you said that just honoring life. Yes. Um, And just to, I guess, segue back into where I am now. um, So since getting into photography for like, I think three years, uh, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And once again, I just kind of found myself looking at myself in a mirror. um, Like, do you, do you know who your mom is? Do you, have you really worked hard to understand her? Um, or have you just kind of shut out the reality of the situation? Like, do you know who she is as a person? And I know this, again, might sound intense to say, but um, when my mom was diagnosed with cancer, um, part of me was almost relieved because I knew that gave me an excuse to ask her deeper questions because my mom was a very private person and I found out so much about my mother in the last six months of her life um, from when we found out she had cancer to you know holding her hand as she was dying I just I really got to know her and understand her and it really helped me just forgive her and know that she tried her best and her best might not be somebody else's best like she tried with all that she could and it really taught me so much more compassion Um, and that again like something about that moment of letting her go and letting go of any resentment or anger really fueled my art too. And it's almost like it opened a channel to my personality or to just another well of being inside me that I just didn't know existed. And it's been such a peaceful process, if that makes sense, a painful but peaceful process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I remember seeing when you were going through that with her, I remember seeing a portrait you took of her. It was a black and white and it was hauntingly beautiful. And I I had no idea this was your story, obviously at the time. Um, And I think, I mean, from looking at that portrait and how you talked about her, the feeling behind that was that you had this really close, intimate connection to this woman. Yeah. And I think looking back, um, she has really inspired the best parts of me. And for that, like I thank her so much. And so I can't even be angry with the things she put me through, if that makes sense, because she taught me how to garden. She taught me how important art really is for therapy and for life. And and I don't know. (laughs) I, I hope this is like making sense. Cause I feel like yeah. I'm rambling, but nope, it, not at all. it makes 100% sense. And I am very, I'm kind of in awe to be honest, because I know not even close to your level, 
about the difficulties of childhood and that we're all recovering from our childhoods, right? Yeah. To hear, to hear your, your story and how you forgave and how you let, you let the good things shine through. And I mean, it would be super freaking easy to be pissed because that sucks. What happened to you was hard and parents are supposed to protect you. And that shit is hard. And Mm -hmm. to hear you come out on the other side of that with this beautiful dialogue is probably the most inspirational thing that I've heard, to be honest. It's, Sometimes I just feel like, I don't know, it's just really hard to talk about because I have met so many people along my life, even just in the 31 years I've been here that have just shared some really harrowing stories. And sometimes I just feel like, oh my God, like I'm not even a drop in the bucket of trauma. Um, I feel like I've experienced so many different types of trauma, like I've experienced sexual and emotional and physical, but in the scheme of things, talking to other people, I'm just like, damn, like I just shut up. <laughs> I just no. need to get on with my life. Well, it's, it's very, and you know this, like, and somebody described this to me, um, a, a therapist friend of mine described it to me this way, that we're all walking around with a bag with rocks in it. And nobody knows, you know, each other's rocks. They're, they're our burdens. They're, they're inside this bag and we carry them and some are heavier than others. Some are bigger than others. You know, it, it, we have no idea what's going on behind closed doors for somebody else and internally for their, and their pain. Um, so it's so interesting to think about like that, like everybody's got a bag of rocks and we have no idea what they are. I love that. And it really puts it into perspective because I definitely have my bad days where I'm like, so-and-so is so whiny and dear God, can she not complain about her stupid handbag or how long the coffee line took? Because I literally just want to stab somebody. I definitely am so judgy some days. And then some days I'm like, I am a light of heaven and sometimes <laughs> nothing can touch my positivity. So I guess That's we all that's normal though. That's humanity. I mean, how could you not yeah. think of it in terms of this? Like say a woman is trying to get pregnant and keeps having miscarriages. And then she sees uh, a woman who is, you know, on meth and smoking cigarettes and she's pregnant for some reason. Like how oh, could yeah. you not be like, how do you get to have that? And you're complaining about your pregnancy and yet you you don't even care about it. Like that's humanity. That's at, a, at our core. That's just natural. I love how you said that because that is such an inner part of me where that this is probably my biggest struggle right now is jealousy mm-hmm. because I have people who are my friends who are in their 40s that have never lost a parent or a sibling and I'm just like well isn't that fucking dandy like right, <laughs> right. I have a really must be time. nice yeah yeah and I find myself saying that and um, me and my husband share a lot of similar things where you know he lost a sibling and it's kind of one thing that is kind of um, I guess made us so compatible, even though we're so different. Um, but he he's so funny because I'd be like, Lindsay, not everybody's fighting World War II every minute of the day. Just chill. <laughs> people are allowed to be happy. And I'm like, oh, that's so true. And I know that my jealousy comes out of a place of insecurity and out of a place of just really being sad about the things that I don't have now, which are people in my life or right. vacations or, you know, like right. gigantic houses in LA or so, you know, whatever. Right. Okay. Not actually my dream, but I find myself on social media being like, didn't she just go to Hawaii? You know? And I'm like, well, who am I? Like, <laughs> people are allowed to 
be happy and have things that they worked for and right. their success doesn't mean my failure, but yeah, okay. I definitely have those days. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. It's absolutely true. Well, I, I know I, I can attest to that of, of look, and this is kind of, uh, the glorious and, you know, the downside of social media is, and, and here we go with the bag of rocks again. We never know what's going on behind closed doors and the perceptions that people put out there, you know, they might be dealing with something really, really hard. Um, when I first came out with, you know, just my divorce, which there's a million of us, so it's not that uncommon, you know, it's, it's a hard thing, but there's definitely harder things. But it was interesting how, all of these people who I thought were really happy and I looked at them and was like, man, if I could have a relationship like that, or if my marriage was like that, maybe we wouldn't be where we are. You know, if I could be like her, if he could be like him or whatever it was. And then all of a sudden, all these people came out of the woodwork to have, they had a parallel experience or even worse than mine. And, and the, so I think it's interesting how, and I love how you use the word compassion because that's a word that I've dug into in the last two years, going through what we've gone through in our family and really trying hard because it can be very hard to have true compassion when you're dealing with your own hurt and pain. And to look at these people and be like, oh, well, damn, I thought you had it all together and I am so sorry for you that you don't, but welcome to the table. <laughs> you know, I, you know, that's so important too. And, um, I know that I probably make, you know, I, I'm sure there's people, cause it, it's a lot harder to go on trips here in Alaska. Right. And I, I know um, for a fact, people might look at, you know, my Instagram grid and feel like, how does she have it all put together? And it's just funny because there's one instance um, that really stands out to me is being one of those misconceptions about like how perfect our lives are. It's when we went to Disneyland this December, yeah. um, so I don't know who knows it, but my, my husband has leukemia. And since he went on leukemia medication, it kind of set his brain on fire a bit. So he has maybe some, it, uh, for being like 36 years old, it's really late in the game for him to have like um, mental health um, issues come out. Right. But they, they can't pinpoint if it was underlying or if it was from the medication. But when, like, I, again, I think that he probably married the best equipped person to deal with, um, and not to deal, that's such a negative word, but to, I guess, help him along the way through his journey. Um, but when we were in Disneyland, you know, I'm sharing all these pictures that are magical and we're like in Disneyland. And while we were there, my husband had to be hospitalized for a week. Um, we found him wandering the streets in California. I had to like, I mean, there was this whole other backstory behind these pictures that nobody sees. Right. Um, and, and me like having, you know, holding my husband down with the police to get him from hurting himself. Like yes. he doesn't even know who I am. Like for a week, it was, it was bananas. And, and then, and then sharing photos that are really magical and people are like, Oh, that looks magical. And I'm like, yeah, if you only knew. Like, right. <laughs> right. It, and that's the thing to keep in mind. Like, yeah, these Instagram families that are, um, you know, curated and yes. shown, it, it's just a, nobody's gonna show the bad stuff <laughs> you know like, I'm not gonna show pictures of something that was a struggle versus something that might bring some happiness into the world <laughs> well that's the thing too I think that that's a, I love that you said that that's such an important part I think we need to honor it for what it is it is happiness and I love looking at the pictures of your kids and 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 their joy and it's so authentic and there that doesn't mean that that didn't happen 
But I do Mm -hmm. think it's so important to recognize that like everybody is sharing the happy stuff because it makes us feel good and we're sharing our journeys with each other. And and that was, it makes it even more special when someone is like, listen, this is what happened to us. And this was really fucking hard. And I, if anybody can relate to it, I feel your pain or whatever it might be. And that makes those times even stronger. Um, and cause it, I mean, yeah, you're, you're not going to share, nobody's going to share every waking hour of their lives that we all have our baggage and we all have our rocks and, um, and that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. We talk a lot about vulnerability, um, and sharing and, you know, we're always pushing and Sarah and I, when we teach pushing our students to really share their, their hearts and their stories, but only the things that they're willing to, you know, you don't have to share every second of your day on social media. There's just, first of all, who can do that? And second of all, like there, there are private issues and there are private things people are going through. That they're not re- ready to share. Yeah. Being respectful of those moments. Definitely. Yes. So yeah, absolutely. Um, now I definitely just try to highlight things that I find magical in those moments. Absolutely. And honestly, having those moments makes those other moments seem a thousand times more magical. Well, and, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And think too, you know, at least for me, and I, and I know you're, you're like this too, for our kids, you know, we're, we're documenting their, the magic of their lives. I actually had a really interesting conversation um, the other day with a friend about why, what I think is magical for my childhood and what, and probably completely different from my parents thought would be what I thought was magical. And I try to capture what I think is magical for my kids. And I think it'll be interesting to hear them talk about it as adults and what was for them, you know? And I think like your mom probably would never in a million years think it was, you know, a magical experience to climb into an old bus and (laughs) eat old MREs with your sister. But for whatever reason that stuck with you and, um, yeah, and the, the hard stuff and the weird stuff, and it's what shapes us as human beings. Absolutely. Oh, that was intense. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. I love it. You know what? I, I think it's so interesting that your grandfather called you Joe because you are absolutely Joe from Little Women. Well, um, I just want to hug you over that comment <laughs> because every one of my sisters always told me I was Amy. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. And I, we always pinpointed, like, it was funny because we would always tell each other which character was who. And yeah. we always pinpointed my sister Trista as being Joe and my sister Cassie as being Meg, my little sister as being Beth. And they were like, you're Amy. And I'm like, how could you? As long as you <laughs> but I actually come to this place where I'm like, I totally am Amy. She totally has the same story as me in a weird way. Like, yeah. she always felt like she kind of didn't belong with that family, with her own family. She always was aspiring, like, way beyond herself. Like, I mean, hers was always based in money, but whatever. And she always was kind of like this more shallow and not compassionate person. She just didn't have compassion. And then when her sister died and her dad got sick and she gets older, she really learns and becomes a better person. So I'm like, you know what? I think I might be Amy. (laughs) Not to get all like a literary critic on you, but I know. No, I think that that's such a be- such a beautiful dialogue, and your story, your journey. I think that it's it's amazing, and I I do commend you um, for taking all the hard that you experienced, and for translating that into beauty that not only you pump out into the world, but you teach others to do as well. Because for those of you that that are not in the community yet, in the unravelled community. 
Lindsay has created and continues to create multiple amazing courses. Um, she's going to be speaking at our retreat. She is so highly active in the community. She's doing lives all the time and she shares her entire heart. And I think that, God, that's just part and partial to just who you are as a person. You just want to spread this love that you found and you did that. And I really, really commend you for finding not only who you are, but the beauty of who you are and sharing it with others. Thank you. I'm crying. <laughs> I don't cry easily. I'm like a cold-hearted wench and I'm crying. <laughs> You're oh my gosh. Well, we love you so much. And thank you for being here and sharing this very, very incredible story. Um, we love you. And you guys, I'm going to add in the show notes links to follow along on her journey. Thanks, honey. Oh, thank Thanks, Colleen. Have a good day. Thank you so much for tuning in. It means so much to us that you're here and we hope you walk away feeling inspired as hell. If you're not already a student in Unraveled Academy, go to www.theunraveledacademy.com. You can also access the link below. Come join us. We have a seat waiting.